It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy. I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man whose face is now immortalised in cotton, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Uh, I've long been immortalised in, you know, mugshots, um, wanted posters, do not serves, you know. So it's it's nice to sort of continue to spread uh, spread the smile. Um, so, so the reason I mention this is we have merchandise now. We have a website with merch on theextrainch.co.uk. Go and have a look. Uh, before we we launched the merch, Nathan insisted, and I, I'm, I'm I'm using that word for a particular reason. It's it's you know it has to be the word insisted mm. that his hair was updated on the <laughs> boat, uh, which has now been done. Looks good. Looks good. It looks good. It looks good. So there we go. Um, go and have a look at the extra uk. Have a look at our merch. We've got some some XG merch. Bit of trolling there on behalf of the the stats community. <laughs> I was so <laughs> I was so like let's not let let's do something else. Let's do a different thing instead. Let's let's tweak this about. And then you snuck in at the last moment. and It's the bestseller. So it's, it's, it's so what the people want. People want to walk around with XG written on them. So who am I yeah. to stop them? <laughs> provoking fights yeah um yeah this is this is not expected to be a big money spinner this merch for us Uh, in fact we're going to be very lucky to break even but it's really fun and it's nice for people to be able to have something uh which represents the podcast they hopefully enjoy so so there you go go and have a look um i'm going to start off the podcast on a bit of a somber note but we wanted to take a minute to talk about brenton mccaskill who passed away last monday the uh, 30th of november brenton was part of south carolina spurs and very sadly he's died in in tragic circumstances a gofundme page has been set up um and it's best if i just quote from it for verbatim i think so it says brenton coached a kids basketball team at a local church league and was actively involved in youth sports and would go out of his way to help others to that end the funds raised from this campaign will support youth sports registration fees and the purchase of equipment for low-income families in york county south carolina i think that's a lovely gesture lovely way to remember brenton you can find 
this page by searching Brenton Spurs on Twitter. It comes up straight away. We'll also put something in the show notes. I tweeted about it last week. So if you scan through my tweets, uh, you'll also see it. And uh, and read the story behind it because it's 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 quite a story. He's seemingly quite a hero. Uh, thoughts are with his friends and family. Really, really sad. Uh, Brenton is also Ledley King's middle name. So there you go. He's proper coys. Uh, in happier news, Spurs beat Arsenal 2-0. Wee. And we're all feeling very smug. It's been a lovely, <laughs> lovely Monday. Uh, North London is Lily White. Ah, let's just enjoy talking about this match for a few minutes. Um, we'll start off with the team selection, as we always do. Big thing was that Hugo Lloris started. So <laughs> we, we had various sources. I mean, I had three, in the end, I had three different people saying that Lloris was not going to play. Uh, as I understand it, a member of Larissa's family tested positive for COVID and he was required to isolate. He subsequently tested negative and I think he had to have a second test yeah. to to double check that negative result. And having had that, having confirmed that he was negative, he could play. Um, so that was that was huge. The, the thought of Joe Hart playing after his midweek performance was a thought that, that terrified me. He's so uh, long- bad. He's so bad. Oh my <laughs> goodness. He's fucking <laughs> terrible, dude. Christ! Yeah. Literally, I I I went about. I tried to compile the stats myself because there isn't like an easily available source. I tried to work out the ratio of like shots on target from outside the box to goals conceded from Joe Hart, but it's 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 dark, man. He's not good. He's really fucking bad. And I my initial reaction to the transfer was, oh god, this is a terrible transfer. And then I had to calm down because people said, look, he's on low wages. And he said, look, it means that that uh, Austin and Whiteman can get out on loan. But that hasn't happened. What's happened is that he, in the eyes of Jose Mourinho, is a contender for Hugo Lloris' <laughs> spot. And he's fucking dog shit, man. <laughs> oh my goodness, was I glad to see Hugo Lloris start that game. I- I think he has eyesight problems. I think, well, on top of many things, I think he has problems with his eyes. He has problems with his feet. He has problems with his arms. I just think he, he's he's like um, he's like an eighty-year-old man who can't see anything and can't move anything. He's he's pointless. He's absolutely pointless. Bless him, bless him. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, um, and he's had an incredible career, and he's won a lot of things, and he should not be allowed to play in goal for a even semi-professional outlet at this stage. <laughs> No, he needs to drop down the level. That's not fair. He needs to drop down the level and not be a Premier League. Do you not need to more. read the flight of the ball through the air in the Championship, Chris? <laughs> well, I, I, I think he is terrible uh, at, at saving shots, but I think in the Championship, some of his qualities would would come to the fore and he would be fine. Like I can think of at least one Championship goalkeeper, Ryan Allsop of Wickham, who's way worse than Joe Hart. Like mm. seriously, way worse than Joe Hart. The, uh, I mean, there are worse goalkeepers I've seen in the Premier League. Burnley's number two, the one that played against Manchester City, he's pathetic. You know, Peacock Farrell. Peacock Farrell, he's the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen. Yeah. So there are there are bad goalkeepers. Um, the Sheffield United goalkeeper, he's awful as well. He's part of the reason why they're going to get relegated. Kepa. Kepa's bad as well. You two, I, look, we've just beaten Arsenal 2 <laughs> Starting off the podcast on such a negative tone, you're going to get us cancelled. Because, by contrast... Hugo Lloris made a really nice save. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, it was great to have Lloris, it was great to have Lloris fit. It instilled confidence in our backline. Yep. It instilled confidence in me. Um, Toby Alderweireld was back as well, like ahead of schedule, I would say. Yeah, I was worried that about was that. Huge. 
I was worried that he was he was being rushed and that he might be a bit a bit a bit loose in the groin, which is you know he absolutely wasn't. That saving challenge yes. uh, where Abamyang ran through showed that he was absolutely not loose in the groin. Um, and the other important aspect of the team selection was Ndombele not playing. Uh, apparently unwell. You know it's going to happen. People are going to get unwell during the season. Let's hope it's it's nothing too sinister. Let's hope he's back soon. Uh, it, we'll come on to Ndombele because I, th- I think there's a talking point there. Um, we went ahead early in this game, uh, and that is perfect for for Mourinho's Tottenham. That goal was oh, it was joyful. It was so special. The the purpose with which Son bore down on goal and then bent an exquisite finish into the far corner. It was it was sensational, and it just showed that he is a player at the top of his game this season. And Bardi, were you up out your seat? Yeah, I don't think any Spurs fan would have remained seated during that. It was incredible. Um, I thought... I thought Arsenal started sloppy. So I don't know if you remember, straight from kickoff, they passed it straight out for throwing. And immediately you're, you're kind of, you, you, you perk up. You're like, hello, maybe they're not quite in this. And then, and then they were, they were a bit needly in the tackle. They did some rough challenges. You could see they were trying to get about us, but then kind of settled and you realized they, they weren't going anywhere. And that breakaway was beautiful. Kane was, Kane was doing Kane things. And, um, the, the whole pitch just seemed to open up for Sun. And I, I didn't expect him to hit it. But then as soon as he hit it, I I thought it was wide because I just didn't, you know, I just thought, no way, that didn't happen. And then, of course, it settles upon you that it has gone in and you you start losing your mind. It was a, it was a beautiful goal. I think, I think Leno needs to have a word of himself. He was very Joe Hart on that, but it was yeah. an incredible goal. And it, what I like about this goal is it goes... It becomes part of our history. And it's also, we ended up winning the game. Whereas Kane's goal, the one from the 2-2, was an incredible, incredible goal. But I don't feel that that belongs to us. Mm. This goal, I really feel, belongs to us and belongs to this tie. And um, it will go down as one of the greatest um, North London derby goals. It was beautiful. That's a really, really good point and not something that I'd thought about at all. I was going to ask you about Leno on this goal because you're Mm. much better on goalkeepers than I am. From my perspective, he seemed to go with the wrong hand. Is that is I, that fair criticism? No, going with the wrong hand is a bit of um, it's a bit of a myth anyway. Because if you extend your hand to your side, and you, I'm doing it now on the <laughs> podcast, you can't see me. But if you put your left hand up and then you put your right hand over the top of it, your right hand actually has further distance. Okay. And this whole wrong hand myth has been has been put to bed by a, a few David Priests and a few others on on Twitter and stuff. Fair I enough. think I think he he just didn't expect it and he was caught out and he he had time because it wasn't a blaster it was a curler he had time to take a couple of steps and i think he could have saved it had he done that but i don't want i don't want to criticize son's goal it was beautiful i I think the key was like you said you weren't expecting him to shoot Mm. he she took it early and it caught caught leno off guard Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm not a goalkeeper expert uh but i think what he should have done is closed his eyes Balled his hand up into a fist and tried to get it with his forearm. I'm <laughs> making Windy spit his water out. You're a very naughty boy, Nathan. Yeah. You're a very naughty boy. Um, and so obviously that goal was amazing, but it, then it so was, it was, it was, and obviously, obviously it, it was brilliant. Um, but also Arsenal did just sort of like let him shift the ball onto his right foot, like holding mm. just backed off him. Um, Regulon made an overlapping run, which I think that helped. That was the key, yeah. Um, but also just like Gunduzi was just like worrying about getting back to fill in for a centre-back or whatever and just ran past Son and let him have this brilliant shot. So, I mean, that's part of the joy, I guess, is is always watching Arsenal 
be crap, and they were. And and the whole thing with um, oh, we will come on. To... It wasn't Gendouzi, was it? it? No, I don't know why you said Gendouzi. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking of? Oh Jesus, Bellerin, Bellerin, maybe. Yeah, yeah, someone. <laughs> Gendouzi, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Arsenal was shambolic on a few instances at the back in in this match. I think it's you know important that we 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 focus on that and enjoy it because it was enjoyable. Um, the the, the Kane goal. Although it didn't look as pretty as Son's finish, it made me do a noise that I've not hmm. done for a while. I got a lot of satisfaction from that finish. It was I just got this vibe from Kane. He was just like, fuck this, it's going in. And he was having nothing. <laughs> yeah. He was like, there was no way that ball was not going in the back of a net when he when he got it. Uh it was so emphatic, so well struck. Um and it, it just it, it kind of took me aback a little bit. And also at that point, I knew the game was over. I, I, that's how comfortable I feel mm. with us defensively. I knew that was game over. I knew we'd I knew we'd beaten Arsenal when that when that goal went in. So yeah. I, I'm not afraid to say that was the first time under Jose Mourinho that I've really lost my shit. I was genuinely ecstatic in that moment, and I haven't had that yet under Jose. Um, and and that was nice. That was good fun. Um, Buddy, what did you make of Kane's goal? It was brilliant. It, uh, our American listeners might remember this, but in the uh, 2010 World Cup, Landon Donovan scored against... Um, so he scored against... He scored against uh, Handanovic, so to Slovenia. And it was pretty much the same. There wasn't much to aim at, so he just levered it. And, like, he couldn't... It's impossible to get your arms up that fast. Yeah. But watching it back, you still think it's not going to go in because the way it just pings off the crossbar. And, you, and it takes time to realise that it's gone in. Um but the build-up, I, I liked the counter-attack. I thought it looked good. It was very smart. It was very reminiscent of um, uh, like a peak Pochettino, Pochettino counter-attack with Ericsson, Delhi, Sun and Kane all sprinting at sprinting at the opposition. Um, I thought Kane's run was very smart. I thought Sun's layoff was very smart. Sun wasn't selfish. He didn't go for the shot. They did play a very smart team, team-based counter-attack where all of them worked for each other and they got it by and it, and it worked because they scored a goal. So um, I like that. I like the fact that there was no um, no selfishness there. There was it was a proper team play. Starts with uh, Aurea staying on his feet. Mm. collecting the ball on a 1v1 and playing a smart pass forward and then suddenly the ball is forwards and it's just like a 4v1 and it party went off injured or something but I just I laughed I suddenly saw that we were breaking like 4v3 and I laughed because oh <laughs> like <laughs> what <laughs> you know so uh, I don't think I've seen a four against two like that in a Premier League game for a, a, a few years I would say it was so it's, 90s football. It, 90s football, absolutely. Or, or like a team's had a man sent off and they're having to push him a last minute for a goal, something sure. like that. You know, sure. it doesn't. It just doesn't happen, or it shouldn't happen. It was calamitous and hilarious and and brilliant. And the Partey thing. So I thought throughout the whole first half, Partey looked a mess in terms of his fitness. He he didn't look to be moving freely. Like he's such a nimble player, Partey, yes. isn't he? He's he's very. Um, yeah, nimble. I said it. That's that's his style. He can get about the pitch well. He can turn on the sixpence. He's he's very athletic. Um, and of course, he has you know many excellent technical qualities as well. But he looked a mess throughout. So it wasn't actually hugely surprising to me that he had to go off. They obviously rushed him back, thinking they needed him, and they they did. Um, but the the situation in which he went off was bizarre. He he'd come off the pitch to get some treatment, and then Arteta like. <laughs> 
pushes him back on to try and defend, and then he has to kind of pull up because he's pulled a muscle or something. It was I've never I've never seen anything quite like it. Your manager sort of pushing you back on when you could make your injury worse, but Arteta was just panicking <laughs> in that moment. Uh, well, it was very um, it was very school children football where the right back who's only a right back because he can't play anywhere else. He's just been dis- <laughs> he's just been he's sort of distracted by something happening off the pitch, and the manager's physically having to get him back in and get involved. I think it just it just speaks to their desperation. I I think Partey's a, a good player. I think he's been a bit overhyped. I personally was quite happy to see Savio start on the bench because I think I think he has a few better qualities than than Shaka. Mm-hmm. So I was happy to see him out. And you know he, they took a gamble on Partey, and that that that's the measure of their desperation. That's how badly they needed something from this game. And uh, hopefully, I mean I don't wish Thomas Partey bad, but ho- hopefully that's him out now for a good couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very, very weird. <laughs> very weird not to play Ceballos against a team that sits back because you very need someone weird. who can unpick the, the set defence. And I think, he, I, I thought Ceballos played pretty well actually in the second half. I think this is. I think this is one more thing of the the Kane fear factor that people now are so scared of Kane in this in this dropping deep that they're just trying to put bodies in there and that, mm. that, that's all Shaka is I mean if Shaka couldn't kick the ball straight I don't know what he'd be doing with his life but he was literally just a body there to try and get in the way try and fill that hole but he's he's not even tactically or he hasn't even got the discipline to do that properly you, you saw that in the second goal where he's just wandering mm-hmm. around and it just it, it's mis- this this whole Arsenal team is it's been I don't know like a half a generation of footballers going there and just not doing what they should be doing properly and and that comes down to bad management and is continuing right now with bad management it's not a good mm-hmm. club it's not a good no. club no. Sun looked up right in the box on the ball except he didn't I thought he did because there is no better footballer in the world than Sun um, who has such like an intimate knowledge of his laces he is the most looked down footballer amongst the elite and he I, and obviously I adore him Obviously, he's brilliant. Obviously, it works out, but it can be so frustrating. But he plays this this pass to Kane, who didn't, yeah, again, just leathered it through the goal. Um, I, it was, it's a little side note is I think Kane just has such an incredible like awareness of the keeper. Mm. Um, anyway, um, so I tweeted that Sun had looked up because it, it it shook me to my very core. And then on the replay later, my dad pointed out to me, he didn't look up. He just blind played the pass. I think Kate must have <laughs> given him a shout. So really, it it reminds me of, uh, I think it was Gilfie Sigurdsson assisting Christian Eriksen against Norwich in, what, 2014 or something like that? Just a, a blind mm. assist. Love, love those. What a goal. Yeah, so we had on the live X subs uh, Q and A we did. Danish Gandhi asked us about relations between our players and mm. um, and budding like understandings. We we had a long talk about that. It was really interesting, and this is one you know they when w- w- exactly when when Sun doesn't need to look up because he knows the runs Kane's going to make. That's that's a pretty good situation, right? That's the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so the second half was a bit of a mess, but it didn't need to be anything other than a bit of a mess um, because we could just sit back and hack the ball away time and time again. And 
that like they were just putting in crosses and crosses and crosses and we were heading them away and you know it it wasn't quite the sort of holding them at arm's length that I'm sure Mourinho would have liked it wasn't quite the sort of settled controlled approach it was a bit sort of quick get to the loose ball and hack it clear and then wait for the next attack to come but that's fine because we just had complete and utter confidence in our ability to see it out and I you know I I did I really thought we could see it out um and Arteta's come out post-match and sort of gone my team couldn't have done a lot more you know there was 500 crosses and you know we did everything I wanted uh, it's, it's 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 hopeful football isn't it it's uh it's low percentage chance creation um they had a couple of moments they had a, a couple of moments where I thought that perhaps you know in the first five minutes of the second half I thought perhaps they could have taken advantage of situations and they and they failed to but then they you know there were nothing really I thought Aubameyang was pretty much hopeless didn't really have any touches they played Lacazette in a number 10 position, which he seems completely unsuited to to me. He was slow, sluggish. His touch was loose. You know, he tries really hard, Lacazette, but mm. it, it didn't really look like creating anything. And uh, they, they they look terrible, a shambles in the final third, which was a joy to see. Um, we ended up with six touches in their box and three shots on target, and we beat them 2-0. Is this, Nathan, the ultimate Mourinho trolling? Yeah, it kind of is a little bit. Um, there's like a lengthy uh, discussion or sort of thought experiment exploration to be had about why that is working Um, it may be it may be that I have just completely underrated the continued um, applicability of counter-attack football in the year of our Lord 2020 but um, I think that like my other possible suspicion other than I'm wrong, <laughs> is that that this is like a, a bit of a one-off season. Um, but hey, it's um, it's working to extremes right now. I um, <clears throat> mentioned on the previous episode, and I tweeted about it as well that like the defensive system that's working at the moment, where the central midfielders drop into the channels, um, is doing a really good job of um, slowing down teams who like to do the modern positional play thing of attacking five verticals of the pitch because you can just match them across it and this particular way of doing it you can be sort of quite fluid in how you do it and that's really impressive and it's worked really well now for three games mm-hmm. but after two games I was worried because I thought okay yes this has worked but now we've shown our hand now opposition managers can prepare for it and I was really worried that Arteta would come with um smart combinations between central players up back and throughs and um aggressive runs from central midfielders with fullbacks retreating back at the right time and um clever plays to sort of pin our central midfielders and exploit the space in front and what they did instead was just lob the ball at Dyer for 90 minutes <laughs> um I don't know. I mean, I'm still, I'm still thinking how much longer are people just going to completely play into our hands? Uh, but Leicester won a title with every single team in the league playing into the hands. So I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's still a thing. I did think, um, so I agree. I completely agree. Like there's, the problem with our system is we do leave a lot of space in front of our penalty box. I thought we did better at defending mm. that space against Arsenal than we did against yes. Chelsea and City. So I think we're, we're improving at like getting our attacking midfielders to defend like central midfielders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And Kane was pivotal as well yeah. in, defending, in defending that zone. 
Um, I thought what Arsenal did quite well was create overloads in the flanks. So particularly on their left with with Tierney and and Saka, I felt they were doing a good job in have, in creating two against one situations where then you needed a deep midfielder or, or a midfielder to make a run into the box so they didn't mm-hmm. have to cross it. So they were doing the first bit right and then failing with the second bit. And having said that, I really liked the Ben Davis substitution and the, the switch to a back five or back seven or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> because it stopped that happening. It allowed us to have an extra, you know, we had we, the spaces were smaller, so they couldn't create so much the two against one on the on the flank. And in, in many ways, I think perhaps we should have done that earlier. We should have brought Ben Davison earlier. But um, I liked, I really liked that response from Mourinho. I thought that was a, a smart tactic, having been two 0 up. Obviously, you wouldn't want to see that with the game level because you'd be sacrificing a more attacking player for a more defensive one, which might seem like a, a silly thing to do. But um, it worked wonderfully at 2-0. Um, Bardi, did you think we missed Ndombele? Um, no, I don't think we missed him in this game. I thought we were going to miss him. Before yeah. the game started, I was I was kind of nervous. But I heard like Hugo would start, Toby be back, and I was just like, oh, okay, we're going to go into this full strength. But having him out made me nervous. I thought I thought Lacelso played well. I didn't think he was outstanding. I thought he played well. Um, there was something you said about the, the overloading on, on the left-hand side, especially. I, I don't think that was them overloading. I just think that was them not understanding. And quite often you had uh, Saka and um, Tierney, Tierney on the same patch of grass. Like, they didn't know where to go. They just end. We were very good at allowing Arsenal down an, down an avenue, and then we just blocked it off. Aurier, Sissoko would just block it off, and Arsenal were lost. And I thought we, I thought we did that really smartly. Um in terms of our in terms of our tactics, I think over these last three games we've never we haven't been behind yet, and it's very difficult to see how Spurs. It's, it's very difficult to judge how Spurs will play, how they will change because we haven't we're defending so well we haven't been behind. I think Palace will provide us with a new test, and I think we'll learn a lot more about this team next week against a team that will probably try and play how we play, and then. This game will be the onus is on us to take control possession. And if we go in front, we will just revert to type and we will see the game out. I thought um, I thought Arteta was a bit delusional in his comments. I don't think it was... I think I think you had been a little bit harsh as well. I don't think we're backs to walls. I don't think it was like, um, you know, the we were last-minute tackles. We, we were never in desperation there was never last minute lunges even the um even the Alderweireld versus Abamyang thing it was kind of controlled the match of the day pointed out that Toby was leading Abamyang exactly where he wanted and hmm. Aurier was was recovering to cover to cover him cutting back inside so we were smart we we did what we needed to do we were hungry we made a sandwich we ate our sandwich we didn't need to we didn't need to make a beef wellington or anything else like that. We had our food and we were happy. And I, I think that's what Jose is doing at the moment. When we're hungry, we make a sandwich and we eat it. And Nathan, we had a question from, is either Ben Pords or Pordes? I'm sorry, Ben. I, I, I don't want to guess either way. Uh, he says, I get that the counterattacking style is working well for us and the results have been great. But am I wrong to be a bit scared by the second halves versus Chelsea and Arsenal? Can it really be sustainable for us to essentially have no attacks for a half? Uh, in terms of being scared, Scared about the second half versus Chelsea, yes, because Chelsea, as I was was mentioning earlier, they managed to um, start using the movement of Mason Mount um, to to attack the space that we have left in order to mm-hmm. defend other spaces elsewhere. Um, 
So again, there there are ways to play against us, which teams are not doing, but they will eventually. And it's a matter of like, do you do you cash out now? Do you go? This has worked for several games, but soon teams will cotton on, so we need to abandon mm-hmm. it. Or do mm-hmm. you play up until the point that it fails and then do it afterwards? Um, but in terms of the second half versus Arsenal, no, that's completely sustainable as long as you score uh, an unsustainable rate in the first half. As long as you <laughs> score your first two shots, you don't have to do any more attacking. If you can defend, yeah. you can defend. You know. Um, mm. So no, from a from a purely from a purely pragmatic point, you don't have to attack when you don't have to attack. I think it it really helps because it it puts the fear into the opposition. It prevents them from overcommitting. It keeps them on their toes. It breaks up their attacks. Um, but if you are capable of keeping a team at arm's length for forty five minutes, then there isn't a reason that you shouldn't. I think what Bardi said is the really important point that Palace is a different situation because Very. you expect them to bunker down a bit. And our worst performances this season have been against West Brom and Burnley, would you say? Have they? And I suppose Everton, but ignoring Everton, West Brom sure. and Burnley have been our worst performances. In the games where they've been a bit more defensive, the opposition's been a bit more defensive-minded and we've been the ones who've had to ask the questions. Lask, Antwerp. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good shout. Yeah, although... Yeah, I guess so. I guess so, although... Lask are a bit different. We'll come on to Lask. Um, yeah, I just I'm intrigued to see how we handle that. We've had three games where we have been able to sit back and just sort of prod teams on the counter. Yeah. We won't be able to do that against Palace. No, I mean, we've also we have seen us work in possession. Like we we had a, a strong, nearly a full game against Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly, every single other possible example is going to escape me in this moment. But you know, ludicrous weather. We we've we've been good in possession. We've shown that we have that ability. It's just not the same level as our counter attack yeah, ability. Yeah. It's just not going to work every week sure. against every setup. And I think that uh, I'm starting to sort of cheat ahead to last year again already. But like the higher teams press us, the more difficulty we're going to have. I think. Lower blocks were actually as long as we have at least one of Ndombele and Lacelso on the pitch that we're eventually going to churn out sufficient number of chances. Yeah, 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 that makes we're not, sense. We're not brilliant in possession. Like you can still, it's, it's not our strength, but we're capable. We're capable to a, to well, a degree where we can win games and then play on the counter attack after that point. The thing is, I think we can be brilliant in possession, but we just don't try to be at the moment, right? Like it's, it's not necessary. It's, it's not necessary. It, we could maybe we'll be we really good in, in possession. We just don't know yet because there's no evidence. And this is the thing that's sort of concerned me a bit before now. I mean, I'm obviously I'm really happy with how things are going. It's it's great to see us. Well, we've we've taken far more points against these three teams than I expected. That's fantastic. That's really good management. Um, and the bit I've always always been a bit concerned about is how we how we play when we need to play rather than how we play when we need to defend. We're brilliant defending. But you're 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 being fearful of something that's not happened. You're like the the people now that are criticizing Kane for breaking people's necks, which he's never done. So you're worried, you're worried <laughs> oh, about dude. something. Yeah, you're worried about something that hasn't happened yet. When that when we go behind, eventually we will go into a game where we go behind. Then we will see how we yeah. ha- how we react. And I think with the options we have, we can we can drop Kane deep and put on Vinicius. We can change it that way. You can take off Bergwijn and put on Bale, who's capable of doing something out of nothing. You can take off Sissoko and, and switch him for Winks or you switch him for Lo Celso and you play Lo Celso and Endombele at the same time I think we have options there I think in the games that we've played so far we've played a formation to win that and so far we haven't had to go to a plan B because plan A has worked perfectly but mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. when I, I don't 
there will be a point where we need a plan B. But I think to a lot of people, Sky are criticizing Spurs over a plan B, which they haven't had to use yet. So as long as this continues, and as lo- if you don't concede goals, you're not going to lose matches, and that's that's a key thing as well. There. Yeah, I mean, it's, the Sky thing is interesting because. I mean, Gary Neville was quite complimentary, right? He was, Mm. I'd say Gary Neville was fully on board with the approach. He sort of just seemed to say, this is classic Mourinho, you know, Arsenal can't can't win this match now. They they were he was bought into what we were trying to do and very impressed with the the shape of the players. How you know he loved Hoybier's performance, didn't he? He was really uh, enjoying the tenacity of Hoybier and the the will to win that he showed. Um, you know, cheering clearances and this kind of thing, which is just it's, it's very enjoyable from a oh. fan's perspective to see that. Um, but but Redknapp, Jamie Redknapp, just seems to not have a clue about how Mourinho's operated throughout his career. It was bizarre. It was completely bizarre and. Soon as was the same. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to ask you about Arsenal, Bardi. We had a question from Abby mm. on our ex-subs Discord. Abby said, so I guess I'm asking a rival watch question here. Was Arteta bad? Were the players bad or both? I I don't think... I, I think Arteta has a plan of how he wants to play. And he has this wonderful idea of playing beautiful football. But he's he's not got the players... One, he's not got the players to do that. So are you a bad man? If, you, if you're not getting results by continually repeating to do something. A bad manager doesn't change. Um, Throwing in 45 crosses is something that David Moyes used to say when he was at Man United. He was like, we threw in all these crosses. A cross cross isn't a, um, it's not a cutback. It's not a Manchester City version of a cutback where they get to the byline, pull it back and Sterling taps it in. These These are hopeful crosses. So I think, I think somewhere along the line, Arteta's got a little bit muddled in what he wants to do. Plus he's, He's got rid of Gunduzi, who who wasn't a bad midfielder. He's ostracised Ozil, who has a bit of influence in the changing room, and he's he's not getting the best out of Lacazette or Aubameyang. So I think I think he does take a lot of responsibility because these aren't bad players. They're not fifteenth in the league. Bad. I think Arteta's got a bit muddled in how he wanted football to be played, and that's translated onto the pitch. Plus, he's got he's still got the hangover from everything that came from Wenger and Emery. So, in a rival watch, Arsenal are rubbish. Arteta's not very good, but he's good, but he's not good. If you see what I mean, he needs to change. He needs to change, but he's unable to change, which makes him an idiot, which makes him a bad manager, in my opinion. (laughs) He needs to adjust, adjust like Jose. Otherwise, you just die. You can have these great philosophies, but eventually your philosophy will will drown you if you can't win matches. I just think they need to write off this season and use it to actually bring through some of their talented youngsters. Uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang just seem done as players. 
players to me. Honestly, I, I can't. Obamiang doesn't suit the style that they're trying to play now. You know, he's a player that likes to run in behind. They're playing this side to side to side possession football where they where they bore the opposition to death with um, with their passing and and don't allow runs in behind to become an effective attacking method. Um, and Lacazette just I don't know I don't know if Lacazette was ever that good to be honest. Soon no. obviously he was good before he came to the Premier League, but has he ever been that good in the Premier League? I, I don't know. And he's, they need um, to. Soldado with a bit of pace. Soldado with a bit of pace. He's 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 a finisher. He doesn't have much to his all round game. I reckon. Yeah. No. I think that's. I I probably agree with that. I think they need to just pick Pepe and Enketia in every game and see what happens. Roll the dice. But as Bardi says, Arteta seems very stubborn. Very stubborn. So uh, I hope that continues. Mm. Uh, we had another question from the Xubs Discord from Nathan15. says, I recall you guys wanting Aurier to find some form and then sell him at peak value in January. Since that seems to have happened, the peak form, do you still feel we should sell him in January? Nathan, what do you reckon? Um, I don't know. Uh, I still feel like... We shouldn't smartest... sell him in January. Listen, we definitely shouldn't sell Ori in January. I think if there's like a a really good right back that we could buy to replace him, who's younger, is still worth considering. Uh, I don't know. I you know I'm he has drastically exceeded my expectations. I'm going to be doing a video on Aurea this week as requested. Ooh. So I said in the, the, the Discord server that like there isn't an analysis of that game that isn't just the, the obvious that we sat back and we counted them and Arsenal were silly and that's it and they put a bunch of crosses in and that's not an effective <laughs> attack. Right. That's that's not a good video. So I said, what do you want instead? And they said they said they wanted Aurea. So I'm gonna be doing a match analysis of Serge Aurea. Um so maybe if I really get him uh under the magnifying glass, I'll be even more impressed. But I still, I'm still tempted to, you know, just always sell high, buy low. You know, that's. I get it. I get it. I'm, and I have been his biggest detractor for the whole time he's been at Spurs. But like, yes. I think he's been a complete liability for most of his Spurs career. But if if we are a good team, if we are genuinely going to challenge for a title in a year that's completely upside down and crazy and you know none of the none of the good teams are good anymore and we've got a real chance yeah what like we need to keep Aurier and just ride his good form basically maybe maybe in the summer then maybe in the summer we really exactly 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 and he is he's not a player that I think is a good up and down fullback I don't think Serge Aurier is a do-it-all fullback like Regalon is for example you know Regalon owns the flank he can do everything he's on that so side. good man he's, <laughs> one, he's genuinely one of our best players i, I think regular is yeah. so so good turned up at the club essentially on a on a what is is basically alone and is just immediately one of the best left backs in the world <laughs> he's on a long gap he's on a long gap year and he's ridiculous <laughs> uh uh serge aurier is not that i don't think but Give him half a pitch to do his thing in, and he's really effective. And that has, I, I'm happy to say, that's taken me by surprise. I was very wrong about his potential to do that. I wrote him off way too early. He's really impressed me. Um, and he's absolutely our first choice right back on merit right now. He suits the system. You didn't write him off too early. He was crap for like three years. Mm. Like it's, I think it was fine to have. And maybe we're both guilty of going too far in 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 saying that like he could never possibly come good because he seems to be that's, doing exactly that. But it's yeah. like you're you're not in the wrong to have like formed such a negative opinion of of him after him being like crap for three years. So don't worry about and, that. 
if we had a manager that played a different style of football, I would still want him out because I don't think he'd suit it. But for this style of football, he works really, really well. Like Kieran you can... Trippier would. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he would. I don't think no. He would. <laughs> I don't think he's tenacious enough defensively. I don't think he's um, athletic enough to, to do what needs to be no. done. I think Aurier, I mean, Mourinho is getting the absolute maximum out of Aurier. Yeah. He's using him perfectly. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that um, we always like, we were like last year, we played the wonky back four because Aurier is a better attacking fullback than he is a defensive fullback. Whereas this year, the wonkiness has gone over to the other side and he's just get to the halfway line, stop and just, just worry about defending. Like he, he doesn't, you don't really see him attack. Well, we haven't been attacking much anyway from fullback hmm. well, on the right hand side, but your job now is just to stop the opposition. And he's, he does it really well. And there were, there was moments where I started, Started to wince, and I would just old Orion might have just put a foot in or dangled a leg, but he's been so disciplined and so mm-hmm. smart. And um, yeah, we have been giving him credit. Sometimes we get told off for not giving Orion and Sissoko enough credit, but we have been we have been giving him a lot of credit. He's, and <laughs> I mean, how much more credit do you want than Nathan saying I wouldn't sell you? That's it. That, yeah, that's, that's that's it. I'd sell anyone. <laughs> I'd sell a lot. <laughs> Yeah, Nathan always wants to set off our whole first team. Yeah. He's just all about the money, that boy. Yeah. They call me Nathan Cash Clark. <laughs> Grunge <laughs> Clark. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't really want to do this, but we ought to talk about Lask. It was absolutely horrendous, really awful. Um, um, I, I, so the thing I thought that was interesting that we could talk about was Mourinho's post-match comments, which were the fact that the Europa League group phase doesn't motivate some of the players. I knew it when I saw the warm-up before the game. I had a feeling, and I told the players before the game that there was a huge difference in intensity, communication, and enthusiasm in their warm-up and our warm-up in their warm-up and our warm-up because I was looking at both. Nothing surprises me. So he, Mourinho is saying that we weren't mentally uh, prepared for this match. What did you think, Buddy? I mean, the only team that really loves the Europa League is Arsenal. I mean, they, they <laughs> absolutely love it. Um, yeah, Spurs in the Europa League. It's, this, this, is not a new, this is not a new trait. We've barely turned up for the group stages in the Europa League ever. Um, Milan last week were losing 2-0 to Celtic. They just strolled out to the pitch and they ended up yeah. winning. But, but the same thing happens there. These, these teams are getting, cold, getting caught cold in the Europa League by, I mean, I feel it's kind of bad to say young, plucky underdogs. But, you know, last go out there, try to make a name for themselves. And I thought they played well. I thought they, I thought they deserved, they probably deserved to win the game. But they did. Spurs' motivation, perhaps. I do like how Mourinho always manages to be in the right, even when he's in the wrong. His team hmm. weren't very good, but he's like, I knew they weren't going to be very good. But <laughs> surely, Jose, it's your job to make sure they're good yeah. anyway. Make some subs at half time if you're, yeah. <laughs> you got five of them and you're happy. Yeah, I don't know. So he, he. I can't, he excused a couple of players, didn't he? He, um. Shoebjörn's son. Hoybjörn's son. Yeah, that figures. I definitely, yeah, I mean, essentially, Lask pressed us very well. And Sanchez is always someone who struggles on the ball. Um, Doherty was really, really rough. So rough. But, um, he's just come back from having coronavirus. Um, and I think that we probably ought to be a bit, um, cautionary with how heavily we criticize players who are <laughs> recovering from, uh, a, a respiratory, I can't say that word, a lung problem. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, but, but it, it, tactically, uh, it's not what we wanted. I thought Tanganga dealt with the, the pressure fairly well, which is nice to see. Lo Celso was essentially uninvolved. Um, mm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I I I find it very believable with the argument that like you can't pick your second choice players because they haven't played any football and they're rough and they are second choice for a reason, etc. And then you can't pick your first choice players because they don't bother and you have to try and find some weird balance or trick them into caring or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I but they were also like you don't want to play Davinson and Doherty against pressing sides, that sort of stuff. So there's there's more at play. Uh, what really frustrated me about this game was that um, Ndombele is like the best press-resisting midfielder since Moussa Dembele, and we played him as a number 10. And um, the couple of times that we found him early in possession, we he beat a player with his back turns to them as if he was magically aware of their presence through eyes in the back of his head. Um set us off on the counter-attack and, and we had a chance and then we continued to play him at number 10 for most of the game and, and didn't move him back and there's such an easy swap there with Lacelso. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that was that was really strange that we just we left that and we left that and we left that and then eventually moved to a back three which seemed to help but uh, whatever whatever I mean it's only Lask who cares whatever Joe Hart's terrible that's the main message isn't it well it's only Lask but it's also potentially uh, a trial run for how Leeds will play against us in a couple of weeks time um, yeah. Liverpool Southampton there are teams that will press us like this and it was quite concerning how poorly we we dealt with that press I mean we looked completely ill prepared for it I, I think the point that you've sort of touched on there Nathan I want to pick up on is this idea that it's, it's quite difficult to have um, or to ask players to be motivated when there is now very clearly a Premier League team and an Europa League team for Spurs. Now, there was a bit more of a blend in this match, like Son and Kjubia were involved. They were they're, they're certainly in the Premier League team. But I don't think you can sort of blame players for not being motivated necessarily when they're sort of in the in the B team, basically. But isn't it, uh, this is your chance to to make your case? But has that ever has that ever happened yet? Have we seen a player play well and break through? Harry Kane. No, but in, under Mourinho. <laughs> Why is it different though? You know, we've seen we've seen players of clubs all over the world impressed in the second choice competition and earn their place in the first choice competition. Why isn't? I guess yeah. I guess that's the point you're making. Why isn't that happening right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something's going wrong with the um, with the preparation, but. Also, as Bardi said, Lask were really good. They were really well coached. They did a really good job. They're, they're clearly inferior players, but they worked well as a team. They worked well as a unit. And I, I thought they had a, a, a really impressive press. I was, yeah, I, I mean, I hated watching that match. It was unbearable to was watch awful. because they, they had us where they wanted us. It was not good. And Davinson Sanchez, like you touched on, oh my God, he could not cope at all. His distribution was horrific, absolutely horrific. And uh, I, I just feel he's lost so much confidence now. I, mm. I really feel sad watching him play because he was not a bad player a couple of seasons ago. And he's regressed so much due to his uh, his mental state, shall we say. Um, before we answer some more questions, I just want to say that we got a really interesting email from Brian Davis. And I've been wanting to talk about it for a couple of episodes. It's about set pieces. We're going to do a section on it soon. Uh, but there's just so much else to discuss right now in relation to these games. It's, so much, so many talking points, so many little uh, tidbits to touch upon. So we're just going to do some standard questions, which are also really good. This one from Michael Wallace via our new website. Michael says, I'm a strong believer that the league was won in 1617 and 1718 by Kante rather than Leicester and Chelsea. And think if Kante was with us, we would have won the league. 
I believe Huibier is that player for us this season. My question is, am I right to think that he's an outstanding defensive midfielder and leader, or have we been starved of that role for such a long time that anyone would have looked good in this Mourinho system? And do you agree on the importance of him in the squad and the impact uh, similar to Kante? What do you think, Nathan? Uh, it's kind of a question I've been asking myself a little bit. I said that, like, you know, when we signed Huibier, like, we desperately need a player of this ilk. We've been missing a player of this ilk for a long time. Uh, he will do a lot for us. Um, but I also said that he's not a great player. He's a good player, but not a great player. And he's kind of looks more like a great player, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm having a slightly hard time placing him, but no, I, I think that he, I think that he is better than I thought he was. I think that he's a, he's gone up to the level of the players around him really well. Um, I don't, Kante didn't win the league. <laughs> on his own twice uh but he was just equal he was you know as integral as Jamie Vardy and Mares he was as integral as Eden Hazard um and whatever whoever else you want to pick out so uh, yeah i mean <laughs> he's really good in terms of similarity to Kante it's an interesting one he's talking about impacts but i think they're very similar stylistically people discuss mm. Kante as being this sort of just sit in front of the defense and mop things up but he's always been a back and forth uh, a north south athlete as my um friend mo likes to describe players as being he he carries the ball forward he's a decent passer this is both of them um uh, and it is is back and forth and back and forth. In fact, if anything, Hoybier is more of a now for us a sitter and passer, and Kante more of a carrier. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some some considerable similarities. Um, and- I think also importantly, they get described as holding midfielders, and they're absolutely not holding midfielders. They're both pressing holding? midfielders. What is what 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 is the act of to hold within football? I think they mean sitting, mm. like holding people, position. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a terrible word. I don't like it. Yeah, it is. And and in this Mourinho system, Huibert, of course, does hold his position. There are times where he holds his position, but he's also a very good presser. And yes. we've seen that a lot. And Kante, I mean, obviously, is an exceptional presser. You can't be a class defensive midfielder without being able to press. The part of being a great defensive midfielder is having the physicality to move around and, and be where you need to be. I think Kante is is a magnificent player because watching the Leeds game, he like wherever he goes, that's a dead end for, for, for attacks. And Joyberg does have that kind of aura about him. Mm-hmm. Um I think for Spurs, I was doing a little piece for. Um, so we're doing. I'm doing a um, advent calendar on on the Patreon for people, and I was looking at defensive, thinking about defensive midfielders, and um, Wilson Palacios came up, and then I was trying to trace other defensive midfielders that we had, and Wilson Palacios, Sandro, um, Scott Parker. So we've, it's not like we've been blessed with glorious defensive midfielders. So I think that's just. That's why Huyberg just stands out so much because he is just a class apart from what we've what we've had before. Other teams may have had Chelsea have had like Makaleli, now they've got Kante and stuff like that. For us, we've never had a top class midfield. Maybe Wanyama touched it for one season, but unfortunately his his body gave away. His gave, gave away. I mean, peak Wanyama and Huyberg together now, you you'd, you'd never lose a match. But uh, <laughs> I just think for what came before Huyberg was average or occasionally good that that's what makes him look even better yeah he's he's also got the ideal personality for this team mm. you know he's he's very demanding of his teammates but more than that he's an organizer he's someone who who under, has a really good understanding of the game to the to the extent where you know people are now saying it, it would be weird if he doesn't become a, a coach in the future because it just seems to talk well about the game he's a good communicator generally i reference 
before just before we signed him there was an interview he did with the football ramble and he just comes across as so mature and articulate and intelligent um but he's also a bit of a bastard on the pitch as well you know he likes to get at the opposition and, and wind them up and uh, get in their faces and try and intimidate them he kind of got a bit of everything and i really like that about him he had a really good shot didn't he against uh, against arsenal it was straight down leno's throat but it was a it was a good try um he's a good player he's a really really good player i like him a lot um, Andrew Lay says this question is probably mostly for Nathan thanks a bunch Andrew very rude uh, he says I was wondering if Mourinho is breaking XG type analysis which I'm generally all for being a moderately statsy kind of guy yes we know that XG doesn't tell us much on an individual mm. game basis but I had a look at 538 after today's after today's North London derby to find that they still have Spurs a fairly distant fourth in their predictions I guess that is behind Man City Liverpool and Chelsea now, this may all seem reasonable, and it's hard to tell exactly what's going on under the hood of their model, but in addition to Kane and Son's above-average finishing abilities, is Jose's style of game management causing models like this to underrate Spurs relative to their rivals? What do you think, Nathan? Uh, yes and no. So firstly, 538, in terms of their predictive league, they use weighting from previous seasons, and they say, look, City and Liverpool were incredible last season and incredible the season before, therefore you can expect them to continue to do. So they get some sort of weighting stuff there that we won't have so much. Although we were good a couple of years ago. Um, but if you look at uh, expected points, or if you look at sort of the expected goals difference table, we're sort of sitting around fourth as well. Um, our, so the the sort of like um, have we been lucky? Yes. Have we also been very good? And that's overstated. Yes, right. Because um, let take the Arsenal game as sort of the the case study here. Right, we scored two goals from about 0.4 expected goals. Right. How many times does Sun take that exact shot? And it hits the crossbar, it hits the post, it goes out, it goes to Leno and he saves it. Uh, you know, the, we're, the thing is that we are continuing again and again and again to convert our like second and third shot every match. And we have these incredible finishes. Sun is absurd. Kane is absurd. We're creating good chances. And maybe the chances that we're creating are slightly underestimated in their XG value by the way that we have counterattacked and therefore the opposition are out of position. Um, but we are, we are, um, we are at the extreme end of finishing these chances. And we aren't always got, we, we might. <laughs> it's unlikely that we will always, always, you know, finish that sun chance, finish that cane chance. And you can imagine the way a game might progress had we not scored those first two chances. If we, if we had to find counterattacks in the second half, I think that we, we could have done more than we did. But it would have been harder. It would have been... Um, there would have been more weight on each individual counter and then maybe you commit more players and then maybe we're ourselves then vulnerable to counters. Um, it gets closer and closer towards a draw. Arsenal don't overexpose themselves trying to come back from a, from a negative game state over and over again. So you can imagine the ways in which scoring two goals from 0.4 of a chance um, is it does appear or can be interpreted as lucky. On the other end is that like, once you're a Mourinho team and you scored your two goals, you don't bother making any more chances. So you never get to sort of compensate for your brilliance. Uh, but, you know, in this specific game, in this case study, we limited Arsenal to 
like 0.6 and you can say well Hugo Lloris is a brilliant keeper and you can say several of those shots are actually blocked by Alderweireld and Dyer and maybe a, a different model doesn't count those into uh, what the opposition are creating so I don't know uh, it, it, yes we are sort of cheating XG a little bit with the way that we play um, but also uh, we are getting a little lucky with how brilliantly we're fishing, finishing our chances now what will happen is that um, we'll have another game where we um, score one shot from our first shot on target and we'll sit back and the opposition will come forward and they will expose themselves on the counter-attack and we'll counter and we'll counter and counter and we'll miss seven brilliant chances and we'll end up with one goal from 3.4 expected goals and things will even out in that way. So the way that we... It, it can swing either way because uh, w- while sort of... Um, xg is being manipulated by our use of the game state we can also do the opposite um i'm, I'm getting I'm, i've walked myself into a uh i've confused myself but um it, it, it can go either way is what i'm trying to say is that with the way that we play you know we can we can make it look like we 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 created a huge number of chances when we were only able to create them from having previously scored from a low probability chance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. How, how does that does that really answer the original question? There's not really a, an easy sort of simple answer. It's sort of yes to everything. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think you're right. I think we are on a bit of a hot streak, but I also think that Mourinho does break the model because the normal ebb and flow of a football game is removed. He doesn't allow there to be ebb and flow. There's there's just the opposition having the ball where we want them to have it, and that's it. <laughs> it's like Joe says he's like um, you know in order in order gambling adverts to say please gamble responsibly. Jose does that. He goes to the table. He throws a couple of sixes. Bang bang, and then he then he goes walks home. home. Yeah, <laughs> he goes home. He takes his money and goes home. That's it. I'm not going to bet any more money because the more I bet, the more I can lose. So um, we go to a new up, and then that's it. You're not going to get anything more from me. You can you can comp me as much as you want. You can throw as many showgirls towards me as you want. I'm not going to spend any more money in your establishment. I'm done. And Jose's very smart at doing that. And I think had we wanted to continue to go at Arsenal, then we probably would have had more chances and everything else. But then we would have also opened up the possibility of losing the match. And I think from the West uh, the West Ham game, that's what he doesn't want to happen anymore. Um, Liverpool... Uh, against Wolves, the the scoreline says four 0 which was great for them, but they they punished a mistake. And then Liverpool, unlike Spurs, they just they don't stop. They keep going, they keep going, they keep going, safe in the knowledge that Wolves were pretty toothless. Had that been Spurs at two 0 you would have said exactly what we did. We would have just shut shut the shop. So um, well, yeah, I think yeah. the thing is for Liverpool, they see attack as the best form of defence right now, whereas Mourinho definitely sees defence as the best form of defence, mm. and that's that's his thing. And Bardi, I have to say that that. Showgirls reference came far too easily to you, you <laughs> filthy, you filthy little man. I don't gamble. I I don't gamble. I just I don't like casinos. I don't like. I I have enough problems. I have enough problems <laughs> in my life. I don't need gambling. Is another one. Okay, Canal Shah, who is an ex sub. Canal says I listened with interest to Nathan's recent dismissal of fans and pundits getting irritated by diving and simulation. His main argument seemed to be that people focus on diving whilst accepting more problematic crimes such as time wasting and dangerous challenges. But there are plenty of us who are critical of time wasting and dangerous challenges. Does Nathan accept the view that although diving is not the worst of all football crimes, it is regrettable that it is such a major part of the game and that football would be a better sport if there were no diving? Um, 
if <laughs> the point I make and, I, and I'll stand by is that people uh, are more critical of diving than they are of any other form of cheating. And if you are, if you personally, anyone listening to this is as equally <laughs> critical as diving as they are of time wasting as they are of dangerous challenges as they are of um, lying about team news before a game or whatever else every kind of cheating then yeah of course that you know that's completely valid i i personally don't care about about diving i don't think it's bad but if you do that's fine i think as long as you hold it no worse than any other form of, of, of cheating there's a second part to his question i would hate to see a major final decided by an act of footballing not by an act of footballing skill but by an act of deception and and my incredibly annoying answer to that is going to be that like skill is deception a step over is pretending that you're going to go one way and then go in the other uh making a run to move a defender when you're not expecting to receive the ball is deception um Football, football is entirely deception. It's all deception. Uh, the difference is that you're deceiving the referee instead of the opposition, and maybe that's where you draw the line. But for me, it is essentially the same thing. Fair enough. Solid rebuttal. Um, Paul Wheeler, who is next up as well, says that was a fantastic team performance on Sunday. Sorry, on Saturday, and he's talking about the City game. This came in after City, and we're now top of the league. Why can't I just enjoy this? I hate watching us with so little possession. It just fills me with dread rather than hope throughout the ninety minutes. It seems my enjoyment level is tied to us having the ball. Do you guys feel the same, or should I just suck it up and enjoy defending? Mm. Barley, what do you think? I mean, he did write this before this after the City game, but I, it, the question is still pertinent now because we went through a game without having possession. I think I think Paul just needs to change his preconceptions about what winning a football match involves. I we Flav said something on the fighting cock. He, he did a little speech about we've tried many things at Tottenham and we've never done anything. All of a sudden now we have a manager who who's going against what we what we've grown up to believe this myth and everything else that we've had. And all of a sudden now we're picking up results and I'm fully on board with this. I'm fully on board with this experiment. It's not even an experiment now. This is a proper project. I'm fully on board with scoring goals and then not then defending that, not giving away easy goals, not giving away easy points, being a solid defensive team. And I take, I take joy in watching Hoiberg close down space. I take joy in watching Aurier become a proper, proper defender. And I take a lot of joy in, in Dyer getting his big head on things. I still don't think he's the greatest centre-back in the world. But what we were saying before about Arteta not adapting, we've got Toby, who's not as nimble as he once was and who hunched over when he was having to chase people. He's no longer having to chase people because we've developed a tactic which which makes Toby look world-class, which makes Dyer look world-class, makes Aurier look incredible. We have got a world-class left-back. We've got a world-class centre-forward, centre world-class wide forwards. And then we've got Ndombele and Lacelso who are potentially up there as well. There's so much joy to be taken from this. But just because we don't have the ball for 80% of the match doesn't mean anything. And anyway, possession is... Possession, isn't that a stat? Possession nothing to do with time. If I pass, me and Windy pass the ball to each other a thousand times and no one else passes the ball, then we have loads of possession. But we haven't done anything. We haven't gone anywhere. We haven't achieved anything. There's so much beauty in what Tottenham are doing right now that just, just don't worry about it. Just cheer up and enjoy it. I'd be interested if, if Paul actually has the same question now a couple of games on because I mm. I struggled with the second half against City. I was worried. Um, but I, so I've i sort of learned through the process. I mean, eventually we are going to concede while defending. Like, it's inevitable. But um, I didn't think... I wasn't worried about Chelsea very much and I wasn't worried about Arsenal once we'd 
got to go up because um, it's functioning very well, essentially. So I, I'd be curious if Paul has sort of learned as I have um, and is now experiencing things differently. In terms of just sort of like more generally the the lack of enjoyment level, um, I'm kind of not a million miles away from that. I, I pay less attention than I did before, you know. Um, I just, I kind of, I've begun to experience Spurs more as like uh, a highlights and a results experience. Like you, you watch the goals, you watch the Indomble skill, and then you can just sort of passively be aware of us defending our box. And I would really recommend it. Um, yeah, having more confidence in our defense if you can make yourself feel that way, and therefore mm-hmm. uh, not being sort of like nail biting, horrified by it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a different football experience to what I'm used to, uh, but I do think that there is joy to take from it. I, I just want to. Um, it feels. It feels. I don't know. I'm gonna say it anyway. I, I want to go back on something Bardi said. That's. I disagree with this sort of idea that Spurs pre Mourinho were just this one homogenous lump of, <laughs> yeah. of non-achieving football club because that's, yeah. it's just not. It's just not right. Yeah. Like we've had some some amazing successes in our club's history and amazing non-successes. Like. Uh, the Pochettino era was was fantastic. Every pundit thought that we were the best football club for for a year. When we, it, it, I remember seeing that table where basically if you split the back half of one season and the front mm. half of another season together, we were the top of the league and we were brilliant. And it just didn't quite, you know, it didn't quite work out the right way for us for various reasons. You know, Daniel Levy didn't back him. Blah blah blah. There's always reasons, but it didn't mean we weren't brilliant. We were brilliant. We were brilliant and. What Mourinho is doing at the moment is absolutely fantastic. He's, he's he's making Spurs win matches with the resources he has available. But again, that that might not continue forever either. We know we've already spoken about being on a hot streak, and and that's fine. You know, we're not the best football club in the Premier League, into and we're not the richest football club in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, that, I just wanted to sort of clarify on that. Um, I think in terms of possession, possession's a funny one because I think a lot of managers used possession as a defensive tactic anyway. I mean, I definitely think Pep Guardiola uses possession as a defensive tactic. If he has the, if your team has the ball, then the opposition can't score. So I, I don't get too worried about possession. For me, it's more about the style of of play and the the means to scoring goals. Like how many, how how regularly can we score goals against? teams that we that will defend against us and I think the less we practice doing that the less we attempt to come up with a style the more concerned I'll be about that and also is it the best use of our players I think we've got a really really good team I've said we're not the best team in the league but I think we're top three Uh, and I, I think we could play a more attractive style and still do well perhaps even do better but at the moment it's going really well so who am I to complain about it you know um Harry kind of made some really good points Mourinho is a football manager. He's not. He doesn't want to play great football. He just wants to win football matches. And I think you just have to accept that when you've got Jose Mourinho as your as your manager. And like Nathan says, you find other things to enjoy about it. You focus on the goals. You focus on Harry Kane being happy. You focus on Son Young Min being happy. You focus on the fact that we get to watch Ndombele play every week at the moment. It's it's really good. It's really enjoyable. There's lots to enjoy. It's it's not exactly as I would have written it had I written the script, but. You know, we shouldn't be unhappy about the way things are going at the moment. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody. I mean, of course, you know, I'm not playing down Pochettino's. Um, what Pochettino did, what he did, was incredible. It did fall apart, but I don't think anyone should hate us winning games this way because football changes. And you're right, possession can be dour. Possession can be boring. You know, the the, the Spain team that, that won the World Cup in 20, 2010 was. Mm. I found it pretty pretty boring, and they yeah. they had audible. Famously, quite a mechanical team to watch. Really mechanical. Spain, um, um, Arsenal have all the ball, and they're they're tremendously boring. So football football changes every every season in the Premier League. If you just want to look at that, every season something different happens, and a team wins it by doing something different that no one else can catch up to. They don't adjust quick enough. Man City, Leicester, Liverpool—they've all won the league by playing differently. And all of a sudden, Jose's seen the group of players we have and has created something so far that that works. I think against teams which are a bit more defensive and the onus is upon us, I, I still think. There's enough goals in Harry Kane to, to to unlock teams like that. Even just a header, he's he's got he's got 25, 30 league goals in him if he if he stays fit, and that's more than enough to brush away, as you've seen West Brom and do Burnley and everything else like that. So, I I agree. In, what I would love is Tottenham to play this expressive, beautiful football course. But I'm fully happy with what I'm seeing now because obviously we're getting results. And I still think there's more to this Tottenham team. We're, we're doing just enough to win these matches and not pushing. Have a look how many players are breaking down across the Premier League. And we've been relatively lucky in terms of muscle injuries. And perhaps that's to do with our style of play and why in this Premier League, of, it's, it's a war of attrition this year. Perhaps why we'll be the last team standing because we're just we're reserving, we're keeping stuff in reserve for the for the run. I would also add that under Pochettino, by the end, we were quite a boring team to watch for much of the last year. We didn't play... When Pochettino uh, got his press working and we were winning the ball high up the pitch and playing early forward passes, we were breathtaking. We were fantastic. It was exhilarating to watch. It was it was exciting. You didn't know like what was going to happen next. Where Spurs going to win the ball on the edge of the penalty box and suddenly we were going to be scoring when the opposition had looked comfortable. It was fantastic to watch. But there were large periods of time where we weren't playing that way and we were we did get a bit side to side and we lacked a bit of lacked a bit of thrust for want of a better word and and so it was um it was quite dull so i i think it's important not to forget that as well mm-hmm. um so yeah it takes all sorts basically doesn't it i mean i i would like i would like Mourinho to develop a style against the bottom bottom half of the table teams which involves us having the ball a bit more trying a few more things putting together some possession patterns and having a more expansive style. That's that's my dream. And then uses this counter-attacking style against the teams that, uh, that are better for Liverpool's Man City, you know, Man United even, Chelsea, these these teams who are more capable of, of attacking and, and beating us. That that would satisfy me. That would be enough. I'd be fine with that. Bardi mentioned teams changing things and winning titles. But a question from George Kazantzidis. He says, I feel like professional sport becomes a copycat process. No one played three at the back a few short years ago. Now many do. Question I have is Tottenham. Question I have is Tottenham becoming the team that are being copied. I've always thought that the next good team is the one that consistently that can consistently break a press. Teams like Liverpool seem to be based on a press, both offensively and defensively. A team that breaks that is the next team that wins. Is sitting back and counterattacking in sitting back? Sorry, in sitting back and counterattacking, are we actually ahead of the curve? Ndombele is a true press breaker. Are we now leveraging this to be the next best thing? What do you think, Bardi? 
Um, I think counter-attacking has remained a incredible tactic for a long time. It's been very important. Um, Arsenal Wenger's Arsenal did it. Mourinho's done it constantly. Manchester United were pretty good counter-attackers. So counter-attacking has always been there, but perhaps not to this extent of just giving away the ball. Perhaps this is this is this season's um, this season's fad. Um, you, you, when when Conte deployed the back three, everybody started playing the back three. So people do copy. I think we probably will see um, teams try and use a like a, a striker dropping deep. Arteta tried that with Lacazette. He tried to replicate the Kane role there, which didn't work. But I think when you got players as distinctive and as unique as Kane and and Son, it's very difficult to replicate that. I think there's a an article to be written, and I mentioned this yesterday to you, Barley. I think there's an article to be written comparing Spurs this season with the Leicester team that won the league. I think there's uh, there's a comparison there. Yeah, I think so. I think I think we're I, I still think we're better than that team. I think. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. In terms of the the like for like comparisons are better, but there are some similarities there that I mm-hmm. think are, are worth are worth a, a bit of a deep dive. Son would be Vardy. Kane would be somewhere between. I I, uh, amu- I amuse myself by thinking that Kane would be somewhere between Mares and Leonardo Ajoa. <laughs> no, I think um, I think Son is more Mares. I think Son is more Mares. No, that kind of unpredictability coming in from wide places. No, he's he's the I, one running onto things. He's in behind me. Kane is um the Kane is drink water just punting it over the top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not bad. Huey Bear is Kante. Eric Dyer is Wes Morgan. Sergio Aurier is Danny Simpson. Oh, yeah, that one works as well. (laughs) There's something there, isn't there? There's something there. Um, I'm going to finish the pod on this one. It's a simple question from Jack Shepard. He says, I think it's Jack Shepard. He says, what one signing in January would give us the best chance of winning the league? Um, Are we we happy with right back now? You tell me. Okay. So I guess we're talking about centre-backs, aren't we? Where else would we... Well, where do you think we could have the biggest sort of league-winning okay, so effect? It's either replacing Eric Dyer, who's having a very good season, or it's replacing Musa Sissoko, who's having a very good season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't... Okay, so you could replace Musa Sissoko with Ibrahim Sangare. Uh, Kamavinga? With Kamavinga, maybe. With Zachariah... Um, uh, f- a bunch more, and then centre back. I don't know who are the good young centre backs. Christoph Ayer for for Eric Dyer. I don't know. It's it's a bit like the Serge Aurier question. Is that like yeah, we can make these improvements, but like you don't want to disrupt a winning team right this moment, do you? So, uh, I mean, I, the thing is that like I would we could just directly replace Suzuko with you know Ibrahim Sangare. But, like, we could also achieve that by dropping Ndombele in and playing Lo Celso as the number 10. So it's kind of like... Oh, I at least think that we could. I'd at least like to see us try it. So, uh, the 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 as much as I do think that, that buying Sangare to remove Sissoko would be an improvement, I also think that it's something that we can already do with the squad that we have. Yeah, that's a and, fair point. And therefore, I would replace Dyer with... Christopher, I, uh, I guess. I'm trying to think well, how of any about other... this? How about this for one? <laughs> oh, this, it, 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 sounds, it sounds crazy. Assessing sounds crazy, but back. go with me. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it sounds crazy because it will be a lot of money. But if it means winning the league, how about Jaden Sancho on our right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's doable. We could sign Jaden Sancho if we is. cough up the money. 
Man United couldn't get him for like eighty-five last summer. We'd we'd be looking at like a hundred. It would win us the league. It probably would. <laughs> we'd be so imagine us with Jaden Sancho in this oh, team. Jesus. It would be obscene. Yeah. I mean, I think I've gone far less big than you guys. I think replacing a squad player would be serve us a better purpose. Oh, I think, very modest. And was, uh, yeah, I think I think um, replacing Lucas or Winks or a upgrade in Sissoko would would help us achieve our goals because and also or an option. Uh, a lot of this is tied up in Schoeberg and keeping him fit. Yeah, yeah. So a an alternative in midfield, I think, would probably serve us better. As much as I'd like to see Sancho on the right wing, I think I think I'm going to be the the less optimistic one and say let's buy a good squad player to to fill in for Sissoko or replace Wings. Oh, and Guisa is another option for replacing Sissoko. He's playing really well at the moment, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, he's he surprised me a little bit. Um, I think Bardi makes a really good point about having cover for Hjoibier, to be honest. You know, if, if Hjoibier is out for any length of time, if he catches COVID, for example, and misses a couple of matches, it'll be a, it would be a disaster. We we can't really deal without him right now. So so that is an important that's an important position to add cover in. But um yeah. Bit of fun, wasn't it? You've been listening to the extra inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.